Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there, welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And this is episode 115, would you believe it? I know I say that every week. Um, And this week we're super, super excited to have with us Lotta Dan. Um, And Lotta is the author of three books, Mrs. D Going Without, Mrs. D Going Within, and the new book, The Wine Clock Myth. And we have been waiting to talk to Lotta for ages. And so we're really delighted, like, finally we can, yeah, um, discuss her new book, really. And obviously it's a sort of topic that's close to our hearts as mums and as that kind of, you know, identifying with that mummy wine drinking situation and the wine o'clock yeah kind of phenomena and that having an impact very much on our um our own drinking so we're really really delighted um to talk with Lotta today so we always start with a check-in so hi Lotta how are you doing hi from New Zealand I'm good thank you I'm a little bit tired because I'm working three jobs at the minute but I'm so happy to be here we've been waiting months for this (laughs) literally and also it's night time for you so is it past seven o'clock for you? Because nine fifteen. So I'm night. amazed that you can even speak still. You know, <laughs> I'm like... normally tucked up in bed if I'm honest, but that's yeah. my happy place. Yeah. yeah, we'll go. We'll go easy. We'll be quick, but we'll be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what what that means. No, I but... don't. <laughs> um, and how are you doing, Kate? Um, I'm not really sure, man. Well, basically, because it's early for me, so it's eight o'clock. It's not early in life to. <laughs> I'm in lockdown. I'm going completely fucking mad. Can you hear it? It's like I don't know. A simple question is like, hmm. Let us kind of discuss it from the perspective of the universe and ancient philosophers and a mom and from yeah. I have no idea. I have really? no idea how I am, apart from a bit kind of manic. How are you, well, man? Highly amusing, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, comedic uh, madness. Yeah. Um, how am I? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, I am. Um, uh, it's. I love how we just. Let's just talk about what time of day it is. It's an hour later for me, so it's <laughs> nine o'clock. Which is interesting. Quite a, yes, which is quite a nice time of the day because the children've gone to school and I've settled and I've had my shower and I'm dressed <clears> and I've got a cup of tea. Um, so I am all right, thank you. Yeah. So we are super excited to talk to you, Lotta. And we met each other a while ago, didn't we? Last summer, like in the first UK lockdown. And we were on the sober sessions, I remember. And I'd wanted to speak to you for like ages because on my sober journey, I was aware of you from like, you know, like eight years ago. I'm watching from afar going just really with interest like I loved the idea of Mrs. D going without and how relatable and then the whole like it goes and then within made me laugh so much and it was like so similar to sort of my journey in terms unpeeling all the layers you know like start by just going right I'm not doing that and then that kind of development so I'm like super excited to speak to you um but obviously we're not talking about that book we're going to talk about your new book in a bit um but first of all if um if you're not aware of Lotta's story 
and she is a sober legend. What? But can you tell us about what brought you to the decision to go alcohol free? Oh, alcohol brought me to de- to that decision because it just completely it completely wrecked me. It took over my life. I was a steady, heavy, regular boozer from the age of. I started drinking at 15, but I reckon I was a daily drinker by 18, 19, and I stayed a daily drinker till I was 39. And, you know, it's the classic high-functioning, had a pretty successful life, trained as a journalist, travelled the world, made TV shows and documentaries, even got married, but alcohol was just my steady companion. It was just there. It was what I did. I was, I was, I thought, fun, boozy lotter. Um, but then I got, you know, really addicted to it, completely out of control, needing more and more sloppy, messy, sad, dysfunctional, tragic behavior. And I had to make a terrifying <laughs> decision to give it up. It's utterly terrifying because I thought, you know, the fun will stop, life will stop. I'm going to be a boring, sober loser for the rest of my life. At that time, I was still just thinking about the party aspect of it. And not the emotional side of it. And it wasn't until I quit and got really emotional that I realized I'd been avoiding feeling emotional my whole life. Yeah, that was the big big discovery for me. Yeah, and there wasn't really much around at that time, was there, in terms of, like, now we've got loads of different sober forums. No, it was nothing. And it was only nine and a bit years ago. And it was just so quiet online. There were about half a dozen blogs maybe I mean literally maybe a few more and um, I just stumbled into that because I wanted to write to myself every day and I thought oh well I might as well do it online I had never I never really knew about blogs and getting readers and that I was just writing a, I mean it was genuinely I was just writing an online diary <clears throat> and then people started reading it and this community grew and it, it's not because of me that the community grew around that time a lot of people were just heading online and Googling, am I an alcoholic or how do I quit or do I quit? And then stumbling upon blogs like mine and others and then starting their own blogs. And it was great. There was a whole just explosion. And now the scene is, oh, it's vibrant. It's rich. It's full. You can find the people that you relate to. It's amazing what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such a key kind of thing to to help with what happened because you know Kate had you know posted today her four and a half year um kind of post and obviously both of us have been on the, this journey for longer than that but you know it wasn't just a a stop and never start again thing so it's been about eight years um and so Kate posted her like day three you know and and the thing that she'd made the decision was like I'm going to post every day I'm going to write every day and there is that thing that I think because now there's there's so many kind of groups and everything, people just kind of sit. But it's when you actually start to write, because it was exactly the same for me. When I made that decision, it was like, right, I'm going to check in every day and I'm going to write something. That was when that that sort of, sort of real commitment, I guess, started to, to build. And, you know, so whether it's a blog that no one ever reads or whether it's your diary or whether it's like a group, you know, it's such a key tool just to act engage and be like I'm going to write about this every day because it keeps you accountable but it also builds that community and it's all of those twisted private convoluted damaging thoughts out of our heads 
that's what I think is so powerful. Yes, it's about community. Yes, it's about commitment. But it's about externalizing all the crap that goes on in our heads when we're addicted. All that flip-flopping, will I, won't I, I'm not going to, I'm going to, you're weak, you're pathetic. All of that internal dialogue, which just destroyed me and destroys so many people. And it's getting that out. And if whether you do it privately or do it publicly or do it in a room at a meeting, that's what you're doing. You're getting that stuff out. And that is huge because when we are addicted, we are really, it's the inside. I always say to people, you think, you know, people look miserable sometimes on the outside. Trust me, it's worse on the inside. Yeah, yeah. so true. Yeah, and also, so true. you know, we're looking like you say, one of the, what for me, one of the very confusing aspects before I stopped for many, many years, and I, you know, back and forth for many years was this that that high functioning bit and feeling like and 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 then going and because there was that sort of disconnect inside and I was self-medicating it was like I was looking outside but what was mirrored back was well you're doing all right you're you know so there was a real disconnect there was no real connection or dialogue so again that that process of writing, externalizing, naming, pointing, articulating, joining the dots is, is key, isn't it? I, I really relate to what you're saying because it's confusing. Yeah. It's, it's Yeah. I love that. And I always remember seeing that kind of image of the iceberg, you know, and it's like, this is what you see. And then this is what's underneath. And it's like, that's where the chaos is, is all that stuff that's going on in our in our brains, in our hearts, in our heads, in our souls, you know, that kind of internal, mm. yeah, disconnect we, with what I believe in. Yeah. The cliche is kind of that we need these obvious impacts in order for it to be a problem. We need to be crashing cars or losing jobs or ending up in hospital or the police cells in order for it to be a problem. And that's the myth and that's what's keeping mm. a lot of people stuck because often the impacts aren't that dramatic and visible. The impacts are those really insidious internal ones. But if but without those obvious ones, we think, oh, I can't I can't be, you know, I don't qualify for it must be yeah. fine. Yeah, I don't qualify. I'm not that bad. I still sometimes have that little voice that says to me, Are you really that bad? And I can sometimes sometimes people might even if they're being a bit nasty online, they might leave me a comment and go, you weren't even that bad, you know, which says more about how they're feeling, to be fair, than actually me. But <clears> there <throat> is that thing that, you know, because I was managing to hold my life together, that maybe it wasn't even that bad. And that's just so damaging and wrong because it was it was bad. I was completely and utterly addicted. I needed it every single day. It, it is a full-on addictive carcinogenic drug, and I was pouring it in my body with copious amounts every day and that is a problem whether you're losing jobs yeah. crashing cars or not yeah and I think that's the thing that you know certainly when I mean there was a conversation on the community yesterday about this you know this the goddamn moderation thing that can just come back and hit you and just be like you'll read something and be like oh so and so can moderate or so and so is trying a you know a new program about mindful drinking and your the addictive voice in your brain just goes I should be able to do this like this should be me I wasn't that bad that whole rhetoric like you know I didn't hit rock bottom blah, 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 blah. and it's just like stop it's like are you happier without it yes like that is the only permission you need like yeah. do you want to drink no right you don't have to like that's it yeah you know? and I remember thinking that it's just you know I used to go back and say to my husband so many times 
but wasn't I happier when I wasn't drinking at all? And he'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, okay, cool. And then I'd just carry on drinking because that's what I thought, you know, was normal or what I had to do. And yeah, so I, I think it's giving permission, giving yourself permission just to say it doesn't work for me, whatever that looks like. Yeah, you know, is enough, and, and hold on to the truth that you know because only you yeah. really know the truth. You're the one at three a.m. lying in bed, feeling the way you feel. You you are the one, and so even if it's outwardly not visible, or you know, you just got to hold on to the truth. And then, yeah. but then the problem is, you know, we're trying to reclaim our lives as non-drinkers in an environment that champions alcohol and treats it like it's a harmless, fun, good time thing. And so you're sort of in this kind of weird disconnect of, okay, it's really problematic. It was problematic for me. So why is it sitting in my neighborhood in the supermarket, literally next to the pesto and hummus? Can it be that bad? So you're in this kind of split reality of mm. knowing how bad and damaging it is and then having it presented like it's harmless. I mean, I get so many ads, happy, healthy people in my social media and magazines and sits in the supermarket all sweet and twinkly like it's harmless. And it's just yeah. wrong. It makes it even harder. And it makes us, every one of us that gets sober, even more of a legend, quite frankly, that we do it within an environment that's, yeah. you know, messing with Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. And also that we get it fed back from from professionals, you know, the amount of people that have been to the doctor and have been questioning their drinking or they've got, you know, serious health problems or, you know, they go to a therapist and with some trauma and they're like, you know, and I'm having a glass of wine at night and they're like, well, that's okay, you know, that's all right, that's helping to, to cope a little bit or, you know, and we hear it all the time in, in groups. People like, I went to the doctor, but they said, you know, use the moderation wheel. Or I went to my yeah. therapist and they said, don't worry about having a glass of wine. That's fine. Because they're not addressing their own kind of yeah, no, I have to tell. I have to tell you this. I mean, I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I had a therapist which that derailed me after quite a few months of, of sobriety again one of during my backwards and forwards and about two months before I my last day one which is four and a half years ago and he said to me so you want to change your relationship with alcohol so what you need to do is you need to go to the fridge and you need to take out a bottle of beer and you need to say I love you I choose you to the bottle of beer and that will change you what no what does that even mean I know yeah I know and it was like because, you know, basically his yeah. was that he went to the pub and drank two or three pints yeah. every night and he was not yeah. alcohol informed, but he was like a yeah. practitioner. That's the thing well, with well, 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 him. Then you drank. Yeah. Yeah. We that here in New Zealand as well, that the medical <laughs> profession, you know, there's a lot of people compromised because they drink because everyone bloody drinks. But um, mm. it's a big, you know, we just talked about how the the online recovery space has exploded, and it has. But if we're talking about a big societal shift, so that those that that's the Titanic, and we've only just started shifting that around. There's a, it's 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 going to come. I'm pretty convinced of that because humans are smart. But I just feel like we're not. We're just chipping away. I mean, it's not there yet, and um, there's still yeah, we haven't reached the tipping point yet, have we? No. We're still working yeah working and alcohol I don't think alcohol's time is quite now it'll come but we are dealing with a lot of I mean obviously the pandemic but I wonder whether sugar and that sort of thing maybe healthy food and food taxes on sugar you know all of that sort of shift 
is coming first and then maybe alcohol will be next. I don't know. We'll have to see. Hopefully in time for our children. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, what? so you said that doing the blog really helped you. What other kind of groups or resources helped you when you first started out? Well, nothing. I mean, this is the thing. I was stupid to yeah. set out to do it on my own. Uh, which I don't know what that says about my personality, but I was like, all right, I'm just going to fix myself. And there was a, uh, I was too nervous to go to AA, even though I'm sure everyone there would have been lovely. I was just too nervous to rock up to a meeting. I didn't know anyone else. So the blog was my only tool, but quite quickly people started reading and communicating with me and I started communicating with other of the few bloggers that were around. And so quite quickly I found my community online and, 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 you know, that's what's kept me well to this day because that's pretty much my only space where I mingle with other people who are sober. And, um, gee, you need that. It's just yeah. absolute gold. I, I've got a great husband and we've got a good relationship, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't have that internal dialogue. So even though he was great and supportive, I needed those people that really understood and mm-hmm. I found them online and, and that's where I still hang out. I, I, I don't write the, that original blog anymore much, but I do have this other online community that I run, which is funded by the New Zealand government and just through social media and stuff. And that's that's what keeps me well. Mm. And so if people don't know that, what's that called? The the blog that you uh, yeah, It's called Living Sober and it's livingsober.org.nz. It's free to join and um, like I said, it's funded by the New Zealand government. So long That's may it last. Yeah. It's a pretty it's simple space. Too, it's just a peer support community. You know, yeah. people, our main, uh, the main thing about it is our ethos is kindness and non-judgmental support and it is just so lovely. People have nice to each other all the time yeah and that's what you need right um I I, I was working with you know kind of um, a recovery I was doing a <coughs> excuse me a certificate in recovery training and um with Janique um who is an amazing woman and she said you know like let us love them before until they have the strength to love themselves you know and it is that kind of thing of like kind holding of space, holding oh, space like for people to just be yeah it's so true, isn't it? You just need that bit of compassion. Like I remember that that last day one, there mm. were about three people on. I was on Soberistas. That's how I, you know, got got sober and blogging every day. And I remember there was a couple on there that that weren't kind at the time, and they've gone long gone now. Um, and I was very vulnerable. You know, you rock up and you forget, don't you? That's the thing. That's the kind of beauty and the joy of it is that you do actually forget what a bloody state you were, which is mm. why it's so good to have those, yeah. the blogs to re- remember. Yeah. Um, and I just remember there was Nana Treen on there and there was WCA um, <laughs> and there was 3CW. So we've got my Nana. Lovely, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> behind, yeah, the avatars. One in America, and my I call her my South Seas compadre, who's in Sydney. Um, and well, still, you know, but those three, they just, they just held me and got oh. in touch with me privately. And I remember from three CW emailed me and said because I just couldn't imagine that I would ever get over it, and she said you'll be able to laugh at this. Give it a few months, you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to laugh. And that possibility that there might be any kind of humour, any healing, any light, yeah, it's shifted something in me. And I was like, 
oh my god I don't know that that was very yeah. powerful I mean that's my core value isn't it that sort of humor sort of thing but yeah, yeah so yeah community right and kindness mm. so what's oh. been the area of um personal growth you've noticed the most from being sober well it's that what I referred to before when I was talking about realizing I'd been an emotion avoider my whole life um I'd done everything I could to avoid feeling mostly feeling sad. Um, I had great sadness from things that happened in my childhood with the family and stuff. And I now know, now that I'm nearly coming up 10 years in recovery later this year, uh, that I'm a very watery person naturally. It's my sort of go-to. I you know, some people, if something happens, they, they harden and they get angry. I crumble and I get teary. That's just who I am. <laughs> and I'm okay with that now, but I didn't want to be that. And so I I tried to not be that for 20 years um, with the help of alcohol, um, which did kind of work, but didn't, obviously. And also I was squashing down who I really am. So that was massive growth. I mean, gosh, when I first quit drinking, I was all over the show emotionally. And then the tears when they came, they would feel so uncomfortable, like physically, like I would work really hard to try and squash them down all the time. And and I used to say, even after three or four years being sober, that sadness was my least favorite emotion. And now I would almost go so far as to say, I think favorite is the wrong word, but it's <laughs> the one I feel when I'm sad and teary, I feel the most connected in with myself and quite gentle. And I'm okay with it now. It's it's just, yeah, it's hard to explain. You know, we can so use fun. words to describe these things, can't we? But until you actually feel it and experience it, it's so fundamental. I'm okay with it. But sad things Ooh. happen. Gave me goosebumps. Yeah, and there's something about being able to, I mean, Palmer Parker says something like when you have a deep, like just being with someone who's suffering and having this kind of deep, about, I can't remember what the quote is, but honouring that. And there's something in that about being able to just not turn away, not have self-aversion to be with ourselves when when there is that present that is like, you know, it sounds like self-compassion. It sounds like being with. That's mm. instead of abandoning, which is what we did, isn't it? We, mm. we abandoned it with booze and numbed it out rather than. I mean, it's so cliche, but oh, when you live it. When you actually live it, and I now live yeah. this way, it's just so lovely. It's just, it's really calm and, you know, real and authentic, all those cliched words, but it's true. So without <laughs> a doubt, that's been the most growth for me. Yeah. So I guess if I was listening to this, I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, but how do you do, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you? Well, that was spend- so when I first got sober, I literally used to go up to people and say, how do you deal with sadness? How do you do that? What do you do when you're angry? Like there was some answer, there was some magic sort of action I had to take or thing I needed to do. And the really the ones that were really together, and they were usually older women, quite a lot older, mm. like in their sixties or seventies, they'd always look at me and be a little bit like, um, I don't really do anything. I think I just kind of am with it or something. You know, they'd be quite and it's taken yeah. me a while to realize that you know, it's, it's that is what it is. It's not kind of doing anything particular or any great sort of mystery. It's just allowing the feeling and not not 
pulling away because alcohol works. There's a reason we drink. It's a quick fix to something uncomfortable. And when you get sober, you have to slow down and realize that there's no quick fix. You can't reach for that thing. It's not going to go away. It's really uncomfortable at first. But the longer that goes on, the more you just know that you're going to sit with it and it's going to come and then hopefully go. And Mm. usually it does. And that's just the way it goes. So you just kind of get, you just lose that kind of knee jerk reaction to try and push it away. And I should just quickly say here, because it's, you know, I don't deal with any underlying mental health conditions, so it's easy for me to say it comes and then it goes. I always say for some people it doesn't shift, and that's when you need to really have a look at that and if, if need be reach out and get proper help and support for that. You know, always sort of want to acknowledge yeah. that. For some, you know, some people <clears throat> get sober and then things rise up that are really hard to kind of just be with. So, you know, do reach out and get help for that if need be. Yeah, I love that because I was kind of thinking that in my head. I was like, mm, but sometimes it doesn't yeah. go away. And then I'm like, oh, that's why I take antidepressants. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then there are those things that we can do can't, to yeah. help, can't they? But they're sort of adaptive, like good, helpful strategies. Like, So, you know, your second book was Mrs. D is Going Within. Yeah. So what is that? What are those inner tools or what was that inner journey and what, what did you learn from that, I guess? Well, they are gentle. That's the thing. Again, yeah. alcohol is a quick, hard fix. Boom, dopamine hit. Yeah, it's gone. These other things that you can do to kind of be kind to yourself when you're feeling a bit low or stuck or whatever, they're gentle. They're gentle and subtle. And, again, that takes getting used to because you think, well, what's a dog walk? What's a bubble bath? What's a cup of tea? You know, what's what's listening to a podcast actually going to do? Look, it might only do 1%, 2 or 5% to your overall feeling, but those little things add up, and, and, and I'll take them, quite frankly. I'll take 1% that the dog walk's going to give me or, I'll, or the yoga class that I do once a week down at my local rec centre in my old, you know, pants and scruffy T-shirt. It's just these little – and I find actually – I need to have a constant eye on what I've got in my life that is sort of an ongoing care. Yes, when really bad things happen, I can maybe up my self-care. I don't know what I would do. Maybe I would reach out and listen to some some really helpful podcasts or go and talk to someone that I know will be really good for me. But it's it's just the ongoing week in, week out stuff that I need to do to look after my myself, which is like making sure I go to yoga making sure I get enough fresh air and take the dog out, making sure I don't just doom scroll on my phone for hours on end, just that constant eye on what have I got in my life Mm -hmm. that's lifting me up and keeping me well. And that's what being in recovery means to me. It's not Mm. I'm desperately trying not to drink alcohol. That's that. I don't even think about that anymore. I don't crave it. I don't miss it. For me, being in recovery, which I do say I am, means having a constant eye on my wellness and keeping myself, you know, keeping an eye on myself. Yeah, I love that. And that is, it's like that having that in, I like that. It's like an intentional, having an intentional engagement with my well-being Mm. on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on an overall. And I I, I really like that. um, that Yeah, and it's interesting because I think when we, I certainly had a lot of resistance to that word of like being in recovery. 
like at the beginning and I was like oh I'm so in recovery it's like oh, I'm in a bed and you know I'm like in a hospital ward and you know I'm never going to get better like I'm stuck and it's and I don't feel like that at all I just feel like you know and I don't even really feel like it's about alcohol because alcohol was just you know a symptom as it as it were for kind of how I felt it was just a you know a tool that I used like the the recovery thing is just that looking after someone that was has had some broken bits in their life and they need a bit of support you know and it's like I'm in recovery from from the trauma from the mental health from the alcohol from the pain from all those things from the shame all that stuff and it is that just yeah intentional living of like making sure I'm I'm well so I yeah I really relate to that I really like that oh I like we like the um you know she recovers in the states do you mm. do you know them yeah and their then sort of uh, mission statement is we're all recovering from something yeah. and that and that really makes me laugh because I'm always like oh isn't that the bloody truth <laughs> it's <laughs> so true okay now it's like live on a daily fucking basis God, so and I, I like that. It's it's like because then I think that takes the shame away as well. It's like yeah. it's tools for living, isn't it? It's tools for being well. And I think that we we all need them because modern life is impactful, yeah. It's impactful and it's a bit weird. Like we do, we all we could all benefit from recovery tools. Yeah. And especially like as you described yourself as watery, I was like, Oh, I like I that. that. And it's you know, it's that kind of this because I've been reading a lot about sort of HSP and highly sensitive people and, you know, it's like, oh, oh, and it's the fact that, you know, two people can be in the same space and have the same experiences, but have the impact on them can be completely different. And, you know, if you are sensitive and you've always been that person that, you know, jumps at a film or, you know, cries at a movie or, you know, sort of ponders on one comment that someone said to you three weeks ago you know all these things are gonna kind of are gonna have an impact on how you relate to a substance and how you kind of build a relationship with a substance I suppose exactly right I mean not even crying at movies I cry at commercials I mean I cry I I get watery (laughs) so I you know my school my son's school assemblies you know, yeah, someone gets congratulated for something and I'm, oh. And they sing. The children <laughs> yeah. sing. Oh, my God. You know, there's everyone some... else is just there and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's, there's something about, like, group activities. Like, I remember the first time I went to, yeah, a football match. Like, I've been pleading my dad for so long. Like, please let me come. Please let me come. Because um, my, my my dad and my brothers would go every Saturday. And, um and I got wow emotional with the singing at the beginning. <laughs> you know, you're like trying to be the heart. It's fine. Like, I'm like a, tom- a tomboy, you know, like, please let me come to the football with the boys. And then I was like, oh, with, the, with the singing. <laughs> anyway. um, right. Tell us about. Tell us about why not. Okay. No, <laughs> yeah, you about your new book. Yeah. yeah. So I had drawn a line under writing books after my second memoir. I was done. I was like, that's it. I've. I've written two books. I'm going to move on with my life. And I did, but I just had this, I just, it's like when you're having babies and you know when you're done. I just had this niggly sense that I actually wasn't quite done. And what I wanted to do was write a book that just had everything that I saw and that I learned and that I discovered and that I was thinking about alcohol in general, not me and my story, but the environment we live in 
the way that women are particularly, you know, groaning under the weight of alcohol, sloshing around in a sloshy, sloshy, boozy environment, all the marketing and targeting that goes on social media. And I just thought, right, I just, I'm going to write more of a kind of non-fiction-y, research book that really analyzes and unpicks this world we're living in, this crazy world we're living in. And so that's what the one o'clock myth is. But then I thought, well, it's going to be just a bit of a snore fest if it's just a heavy kind of nonfiction book. So I then went and found 20 amazing women to share their stories. And some of them are still drinking. Some of them have stopped. And I put one person in there who's actually very moderate because I thought I should, someone who's actually doesn't have any sort of struggle and those stories are told in the women's own words and they are interspersed throughout the book with these other chapters of research and writing that I've done it's still in my kind of Mrs D style um but yeah it is you know it's much more of an exploration of this world that we're living in and yeah I I, I'm really proud of the book um and now I'm done because if you want to know what I think it's all in there (laughs) (laughs) and I love those um having all the different female voices I really loved that about the book um and I love you know like we've chatted before and I'm like bang on we're both you know bang on with you about the marketing messages and the feminine you know the gender piece and and all of that but and what I keep coming back to is is those stories there's something so powerful about have that that sort of the difference between that radio silence that there was 10 years ago to now all of the stories because someone's going to read it and go oh yeah I identify with her no I identify with Betsy no I identify with Harriet or you know something and there's something so powerful in that yeah and the thing is I didn't even know what half of their stories were in detail until we did the interview and they opened up about you know all manner of like childhood sexual abuse narcissistic mothers domestic abuse like you name it it all came out and here's the thing I could have picked another completely random 20 women and they would have just been just as amazing those stories like we all have these really interesting gritty stories if we're looking at our relationship with our emotions and with alcohol which is basically if you're talking about alcohol you're talking about emotions and um yeah so it's like that's why I really encourage, and I think I wrote at the end of the book, I think I did, I meant to, I'm sure I did, <laughs> talk to your girlfriends, talk to them honestly. Don't talk to them at 5 o'clock on a Friday when you've just opened the bottle of Chardonnay. Talk to them at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning when you're filled with guilt and shame and, and you know, and talk honestly with what's going on. And, and that's, where, that's where the strength will come because at the moment the The other problem with this environment we've created is it's really isolating for people because they genuinely think everyone else is having a great old time and I'm the only sort of broken loser who's struggling. And so that's why we isolate. And so that's why I really would love if we could lift the lid and have people talk more honestly because it's through that that we're going to actually start seeing more of a groundswell towards wanting what is needed, which is regulation changes to our environment. Oh yeah, I love that. Again, I got goosebumps because I remember, I remember that kind of slow kind of unfolding of, you know, if sort of initially being in Soberistas, which was, you know, an incredible space where I could tell my story openly, anonymously, without anyone knowing who I was. And that was so powerful at the beginning because I 
I was terrified. Like I can remember like I'd write stuff and then I'd rewrite it be like, oh no, maybe someone will be able to link that that might be me because I mentioned, you know, where I went to university or something. And You know, you're so paranoid because you're so unbelievably filled with shame. But then when I started to, you know, when I came back to sobriety the second time and I was much more confident and and I'd connected with my mental health story and I was like, you know what, I'm not going to be ashamed of this. I'd read Bryony Gordon's book, mad girl and I was like she's owning this mental health story like I've got my own and I've got my own trauma story and so that was the first sort of step out like talking about depression and anxiety and you know having a breakdown and stuff and then when I went she recovers and seeing being in a room with like 600 other women and they were so fabulous like you would never have known anything about any of these women's stories you know they None, none of them looked like anyone else other than just you know women living their lives and then you were listening to their stories and it was like oh my god <laughs> like oh my god like the unbelievable kind of struggles some of these women have been through was just incredibly inspiring and just that yeah that sisterhood of going wow like we've all got a story mm. and, and we can hide you know, so much yeah we can hide it very well yeah and just and and that kind of when you start to connect with that you know you live your life differently because you walk down the road going I have no idea about any of you you know or when someone's mean to you or when someone wrongs you you know it's just like I don't know what's going on in your life at home I don't know why you came to me with that attitude I don't have to accept it like I can build boundaries and I can protect myself but at the same time I can be like I know nothing about your life or what happened this morning. And, you know, that really, really helped me to, I guess it's that relational center of the brain, isn't it? You know, when you're sort of craving and you're stuck in that place, everything is quite nasty and dirty and horrible. And, you know, you feel resentful and everything feels like hard work and you feel very poor me, you know. And then when you start to reconnect and you start to open up, it's like, oh, I haven't, interaction with the world and everyone has their place and that was incredibly healing for me so amazing yeah Yeah. and it is it's that that safety and connection isn't it it's that it's that stuff which I think the the um, internet has been such a great tool for women Mm. because it was I mean I remember going on Soberistas and it was like oh everything that I've ever been told about this thing it isn't Mm. true because I could hear everyone for the first time I could read it all yeah I often say the internet saved my liver (laughs) 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 it was being online and you know it's the good I just watched that Netflix documentary the social dilemma today and it's like you know the worst side of it but there are so many good things about the internet and forums and connections and all of what we're doing and everyone who's listening to this right now on their device on the bus or wherever they are you know this is the gold because we can share our flaws and we can just say none of us have got it sorted (laughs) we're all just messy gloriously messy humans trying to figure it out Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, and you don't have to hide you don't have to hide in in that substance anymore so um, yeah, so we the reason why we couldn't speak to you before was because there, there was a delay in the book coming out in Europe. So it is finally available in uh, in Europe. So if you are listening and you haven't read Lotta's new book yet, then we highly recommend that you, Can get, you get it. Can you get it paperback? 
Kindle. Yep. What's yeah, yep, paperback, all... Kindle, and audio audio book as well. Amazing. Are you reading the audio or is it? No, else? I asked her, and they sort of. They said something about studios not being available in Wellington, New Zealand, where I live, and I was like, yeah, whatever. You just didn't want <laughs> So it's some very um, lovely, I'm sure, Australian actor reading. my. She's done my so my first memoir and this latest book are both audio books, and she's mm. both of them. Okay. Yeah, it was the same for us. I don't know. It was a weird thing. It's like, but we do a podcast and people are kind of used to hearing our voices and it says, Mandy says, <laughs> Kate says. But anyway, it's just one of those things. So, and, and, it, and it is read by our friend Rose, who is, so we managed to get a friend of ours who's in re- long-term recovery, who's oh, a voice nice. actor to read it. So like, yeah. That's this is not about our book, it's about no, it's just, your book is so good, guys. I oh, have read yeah. it and I really, really like it. It's really great. Oh. And your personalities shine through, which is just so um great. And it's very readable and it, you can kind of pick up bits and bobs and put it down. Yeah. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Well done. Well, oh, yeah, I, I felt the same about yours. It was like it was very affirming and yeah, I loved the I love the stories. I really, really warm to, to the different stories and narratives running through it. Yeah, and I love, I mean, for me, like the the kind of, you know, the rebellion side of it and the activism side, that was a huge part in me staying sober because when I could connect to that and go, yeah. hang, on, hang on a second. Yeah, it's deep. Bullshit, you know, that, my favourite chapter in the book, that it is the yeah. ultimate rebellious move to quit drinking in yeah. a society that champions it. We are the rebels. Yeah. The, the the rebellious teenager in me is having a field day at the fact that I rock up to the exactly. bar and ask for a mug of chamomile tea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I love it. Like, <laughs> I go to posh because I had I started this very early on, and interestingly, now I've been learning a lot about habit change and and these things it's like oh that's actually a really good technique but very early on I used to go when we used because I live in France and you know so obviously the romanticism of wine in in France is pretty strong um and so we used to go to these post restaurants and I would always at the end have a nice dessert and a cup of tea and I'd take a photo and that was my little like reward um for getting through the dinner without drinking um but there is something so hilarious saying to like a posh French waiter yeah could I have a cup of tea with mom. and that they're, they're like okay so you know it's so so ritualized they're like okay so you have your dessert and then you're going to have a cup of tea instead of an espresso at the end I'm like no no, no I want my cup of tea with my dessert and they kind of walk away going I don't understand and it's like yeah and it just feels that rebellion I'm like yeah fuck you I'm gonna have a cup of tea oh, with my dessert I was at my husband's Christmas party and it was a boozy in a bar and I rocked up to the bar and I saw this coffee machine and I said to the waiter you couldn't do me a cup of tea could you and he was like yeah and he made me a pot of chamomile tea and gave me a teacup with a saucer and I carried it back through the crowd through the dance floor <laughs> yeah. so happy I was beaming and and then stood at my stand-up table which was covered in spilled drinks and poured myself cup after cup of tea it was like heaven <laughs> I, don't, I don't care I didn't care what anyone thought I was happy yeah. you know what I went home, I drove home and I woke up the next morning with a clear head and that's that's the bit, you know, and I just want to quickly say, because I know we're about to wrap up, but this third book of mine, it is a bit, you know, it's kind of not political is not the word, but I'm sort of looking at the society and talking about all this big picture stuff. But actually now in my life, what I've really tried to turn back into is me and my truth, 
knowing why I quit, knowing how much better my life is without it, and really just focusing on that. Because at the end of the day, that is that is it. You know, I'm brave and amazing. You guys are brave and amazing. Anyone who does it, even if you write books or not, you know, even if you're just at home running your own little life and you've quit drinking, you are brave and amazing. And we should all constantly remind ourselves of that because it's true. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so we always finish with a tip of the day and a reason to love sober. I mean, you've just kind of given us massively brilliant ones. But, um, yeah, if there's one tip you could give to people, what would it be? Um, just know that change is possible. Really know it. And if you're terrified, I get it, but you've just got to trust us. You will get to a place where you don't, miss that stuff at all and just so just know in your heart change is possible and just keep on going oh I love it thank you so so much it's been wicked certainly made my day brighter absolutely oh I'm so happy we finally got to do this (laughs) I know what's your reason to love sober we haven't done that Oh, the fact that I get to connect with super cool women in England and France <laughs> and talk about real stuff. That's my mm. reason to love sober. Yeah. Yahoo! Yeah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Let's face it, pretty yeah. freaking awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Lotta. Um, so if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, please do reach out. As we've been speaking about, there's so much online support. Um, obviously, go to visit your GP or if you're in the UK, Alcohol Change has loads of agencies of local support. But just reach out. Don't feel like you're on your own. There are many, 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 many of us and, you know, lots of different communities. So baristas, there's Lotta's one in New Zealand living sober. Um, there's the Love Sober community. She recovers club soda, soberistas. Just get online, reach out, get connected and stay safe. And we'll see you next week for more chat. Bye, guys.